the path of the witch is so unique. The, the gift of witchcraft. I was able to see, hear, and communicate with spirits. A very personal relationship between a person and spirit. Carnal lust and some things like that. Working with different energies and spirits and communicating. Creating magic. Powerful yeah. ritual and powerful <laughs> spells. She's actually sending me in the cold. The role of the witch is to make change. Let's it be, y'all. Let's it be. People ask me, like, okay, I'm a witch, and I don't know what to do. Witches, welcome to another episode of That Witch Life Podcast. I am your host today, Kanani, and I am joined by my fellow co-hosts, Hillary. Hello. And Courtney. Hello. And we are here today. We're going to have a episode uh, on glamour magic, which I think that everyone is really going to enjoy kind of talking about and learning about. So, uh, what has everyone been up to lately? Um, well, I had the scare of my life this week and that I almost lost my husband's familiar. We have a little black cat named bear and, uh, we had, we've had contractors over here still trying to repair the damage that came from the mold issue. And this poor little cat had just had enough of the sawing upstairs. And at some point, I don't know when, because we are always super careful about going in and out the back door, but sometimes that our back door in our house, it's an old house. It doesn't fully close all the way. And at some point he got out and I've figured it out when it was time to feed him and he wasn't coming out for food. And this is like a little pig cat where all he wants to do is eat. And he totally bowls over everybody else in the house in order to get near his food. And he wasn't coming out. And I was so thankful that, um, we talked about my friends, Wendy and Sean, who were in town. This, this was while they were still with us that, um, they, I'm so thankful that there was another witch present because Wendy had the insight to go exploring the part of my yard behind all the brambles and all the weeds and was just kind of looking. And she's like, huh, take a look at the fence and seeing what's over there. And when he was missing, I didn't even think to go check because whenever he's gotten out in the past, he hangs out near the back door. He doesn't go far, but he apparently had been so frightened. He bolted all the way to the other side of the yard dug un- dug under the fence where my dog had dug in some holes. And um, it was Wendy who had her spiritual insight that I think we need to go over a look on the other side. And there he was in the neighbor's yard behind the chicken coop, just crying and crying. He was terrified. And so I'm like racing around the block, you know, was able, fortunately my neighbor was home. That's one of the great things about the pandemic is that everybody's home, right? So she was able to help me get to him. And the poor little cat just cried all the way home. And then he cried when I brought him inside. It was just so scary for him. So he is, uh, that unfortunately with cats is that once they get out, no matter how scared they are, all they want to do is get back out again. So, uh, he has lost his privileges of having roam of the house while we have people coming in and out of the house. He's going to need to stay in the bedroom while we have contractors or guests coming in and out. Cause he apparently is an escape artist, but it's, it's, um, I remember thinking as I'm looking for him, I would be the worst witch wife in the world if I lose my husband's familiar. Like I cannot do this. I cannot, I've got to find him. And and every time I look at him now and he's just all comfy and like, what? But I'm just like, Oh my God. I'm, Plus, just, that's my boyfriend. So I was also, <sighs> also Hillary's boyfriend. 
Um, yeah, so that was the scare of my week is that I almost lost my husband's familiar, but you know, it's, um, it didn't happen. And, and as a friend of mine, who's a priestess once said, everything is, is practice for something else. And so perhaps this was a warning and I'm going to accept it as a warning. And I learned something from it because there could have been a greater danger that was posed to him if he had gotten at it another time. So yay. Yeah. I'm thankful. Good, good. Yeah, I've, um, you know, things have been good. I've been doing like a ton of work in my garden. Um, like I really like spent a lot of time focusing on uh, my outdoor space now that the weather is beautiful. So that's been good. And then I, um, on the 26th of June, I, uh, was, I had a performance. Um, I know Kanani was at that. Um, and, uh, it was super successful. It was a virtual performance. Um, uh, through city lights theater company. And I, yeah, it was really, it was really nice to feel normal for a second. I've been really honored to work on this project because this composer, uh, who is a cello classically trained cellist, and she is really like a multimedia artist. So she uses uh, cello and loop station and electronics. And then she brings in other artists. So there's hip hop in there, there's percussion, there's opera, there's movement. Um, and it is, she really re uh, creates her work around what is going on in the communities around her. So uh, this particular piece, which she started working on uh, in 2017, um, and then, you know, it really came to fruition and she published a whole album in 2019. Um, and, you know, I, it's, it's been really beautiful because this piece really focuses around, um, uh, gentrification and the displacement of original res residents uh, in her community. Uh, she's in a San Jose, California-based artist. So obviously in the, um, you know, Bay Area, uh, displacement and gentrification is a really big issue. Uh, and it's just really, really inspiring to be able to work with a, with an artist that, you know, that really it's like all of her pieces are like a call to shedding light on what's going on in the communities around her. Uh, it's so, so powerful. And, you know, it was also really, it was, an, it was an emotional experience, I think, for all of us, because when we did this, so we were rehearsing a week and a half before the shutdown, right? So I had flown to California. Um, we were, all of us, all, let's see, one, five, six of us were in a room together um, and rehearsing for this huge show we had in LA that was supposed to be March 27th. Uh, we then had a show that was supposed to be in Chicago in April and we had a European tour that was supposed to happen in October. Obviously all of that has been canceled for this year. And so, you know, for artists and for musicians and artists at this time, performance artists, especially, you know, their, I mean like their entire livelihood has been taken away. So um, you know, it, it was emotional. It was both really inspiring to, to be able to say like, look, we were able to be innovative. We were able to create something that is, um, uh, you know, to shift and be innovative and create something that we can present in a virtual realm. Uh, but it was also like, you know, bittersweet in a way, because here we are like really excited to do this thing, but also it was like the first time and at, we really were processing this collectively and it was while we were being interviewed on camera. So like, we're all like, wow, I didn't, this is really actually quite emotional, but the company that produced it is city lights theater company. 
and they're awesome. They're actually, they've really championed artists and, um, you know, they're bringing artists in and they're producing their work virtually and they're doing it frequently. And so they, you know, they have a format where they introduce people, they introduce the artists and have a quick dialogue at the beginning. They show the piece and then they have a Q and a live Q and a afterwards. So it, it was really neat to do. And it, it, you know, that for a moment felt a little normal, which was great. Um, but yeah, it was, it was, it felt really good to have that. And I think we definitely, I definitely felt like an amp from the solstice, you know, uh, in all of that creative work. Yeah. I watched the performance and I just, I, I thought it was incredible. It, 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 your voice is amazing. And it just reminds me of why I don't sing because (laughs) (laughs) when you hear someone that can sing, suddenly you realize like, wow. Okay. Yeah. It was, uh, but the, the, for me, one of the things that was my favorite was also not just the the singing, the dancing, uh, and the musical aspect, but it was also the visual element. So for anyone who hasn't seen it, um, we will have the link up and I definitely, I recommend watching it cause it's, it's a, it's, it's a trip. It's really fun to watch and it, the artist artistry in it is amazing. So Hillary, you also had uh, the name of an artist to share. Yes. So, um, you know, like we, we often like to share um, magical artists or artists who are witch, witches. Um, and so I have a, a, a friend of mine, uh, Sharon Kihara is one of the most magical people I've ever met, but also just like an incredibly talented artist in all forms. So I have a little blurb about her. She uh, what I she does a, a million things, including phenomenal. She's a phenomenal dancer and choreographer, which we will definitely feature again. Uh, kind of more, more focus on that work at some point. But um, recently, she's kind of pivoted to focus a lot on uh, jewelry making, and she does some incredible uh, pendants and rings and jewelry that has magical intentions. Uh, she sometimes has runic symbols. She uh, her pieces are incredible. Um, they all, most, a lot of them incorporate stones as well. Um, so her company is called Gift Horse Gems. It's a handmade line of jewelry created by dancer and choreographer Sharon Kihara. It started as a creative outlet and hobby during a long period of injury that transitioned into her semi-retirement from the light life of a touring professional dancer making way for a new career as a metal artist. Her work is informed by both of her uh, previous work, both her previous work as a jewelry ethnographer and her own family heritage, drawing symbolism from Norse and indigenous traditional art from her mother's lineage lineage, and aesthetic concept and artistic process from her father's Japanese lineage. The results are unique pieces filled with intention and prayer for the wearer, each one a personal talisman. Almost every piece is a custom order and each client is interviewed a bit in order to inform their piece is one of a kind. Her work is available in a wide variety of materials and price points and, and ongoing. Gift Horse Gems is donating 10% of all gross sales to Noise Library, a wonderful organization serving the black, trans, and queer community in Los Angeles with food de- delivery, meal pop-ups, and www.gifthorsegems.com. And you can find her on Instagram at gifthorsegems. Um, those will both be on our website, but go check her stuff out. It's just really phenomenal. I have a piece that I wear uh, that it, that is a protective piece, and I I love it. So her stuff is beautiful. Go check her. Yes, I'm all thinking about protection magic all the time since our last episode. So in the last uh, couple weeks, I have uh, just been kind of trying to get 
I, I've been enjoying kind of, I'm feeling more the summer vibe, even though all the days kind of feel the same. But since summer solstice, I've been trying to kind of uh, feel the season. And I had mentioned before, I'm trying to kind of get clothes that, that are seasonally appropriate. And we have been spending a lot of time at the beach so that uh, we can kind of get out of our place and have a little bit different scenery to kind of stay sane right now. And so I think right now what I've been working on is is just trying to feel like we're in a summer break. Uh, it's, dif- it's difficult with everything that's going on, but um, I've been having a good time kind of I've really been having a good time spending so much time at the beach. I've always kind of found a calling at the beach. I've always loved the ocean. I've always loved the sand. And so to be able to spend so much time there lately has been, has been super special. And I'm just really trying to kind of do more magic that's seasonally related, Mm. not so much lunarly related, but that is kind of specific to the season. Because like I said, I'm, I just feel like every day is so much like the day before that you know, and for the past, and it's been like that for months, right? So it's like it, at one point it was spring, and now suddenly it's summer. But the you know things that would usually happen with the last day of school and and all of these things that kind of trigger, okay, now it's summer break. All of that was so anticlimactic that it just it doesn't feel really that different than it did in April. And so I'm trying to kind of listen to music that reminds me of summer and watch kind of fun summer movies and spend more time outside. Even though I, I decided to go outside a couple weeks ago, I was only outside for about an hour and a half and I had a vicious, vicious sunburn, uh, which is what happens when you're see-through. But, um, I'm just kind of trying to embrace the season and, and do more fun things and not just for myself, but also for my, for my kids. Cause all of this has just been very strange for them as well. And so I, that's something I've been kind of working on and, and enjoying is trying to be more summery. Well, the three of us were able to be in the same physical vicinity for the first time since like late February, early March. Yeah, yeah we, we got to enjoy some of that. I know I also got sunburned. Did, Hillary, did you also get burned as well? I have I have gotten a little bit of a sunburn uh, from being in the garden, but but not too bad. I, I'm religious about it. I am so too, but I still managed to miss a little spot. But it's like, we belong to the oh. night. We belong to the darkness. We're white girls from Oregon. We have no melanin. <laughs> I know it's totally true. We really don't. I know. I prefer. I tell people that my pallor is see-through creature from the bottom of the sea who should never be exposed to sunlight ever. That that I would know, about like, describe my skin tone as well. <laughs> yeah, I burn so easily. So, but I but I am also, and I like thank my mother for this. Like she really uh, instilled sunblock and skincare into me, which is, I mean, she had skin that looked incredible her whole life, you know? Uh, and it was because she took really good care of it. So, uh, I'm very, very cautious. And oftentimes when I'm out in a lot of sun, I'm in a a really big giant hat. But the funny part is, is that like, especially now with quarantine, it's like, I'm in all black. Usually I'm in like, uh, a giant, giant black hat. I have sunglasses on and a mask on. So you can't even see my face. 
face. You did kind so of like, look I like a like, dark phantom floating down the street for sure. Yeah, it was pretty funny. The photos, I was like, oh God, it's just this mystery woman all in black. It's not, I mean, I, not that I mind being a mystery woman, but it's, it's, it's an unintentional You're totally not factor. a mystery woman. You're like one of the most open book people I know. That's what's funny about it. I know. And it's like one of the, it's just funny because I'm like, it's a, it's an unfortunate, it's an unfortunate side effect of, uh, of being just pasty, pasty, pasty. It's like, thanks Scottish. Oh my God. Yeah. Well, I, I was, uh, uh, I got out to the coast, um, uh, just yesterday. We're recording two in one day, everybody. So this is why some of this stuff may sound like a, a little dated, but, um, but I've just, ever since I came back, I'm like, oh my God, I wish I were still there. And I always have felt that way. But I think especially when there's really been clinging to the same, you know, 800, same 1200 square feet for so long that it just really, really, it, it just felt so good to be a little further away. And we were safe about it. Masks, social distancing, all of that, spending time outside, not like bumping up against strangers. But I don't get why there's still so many people who just refuse to wear masks. It's just not, ugh. It's not funny anymore. <laughs> I know. I just, it's like, gets so old. And I just, it's, it's a thing that really, I think what bothers me about it the most is I'm like, it's the ultimate form of only giving a shit about yourself. And don't get me wrong. I know there are people that like, for medical reasons, struggle with mask wearing. But the thing is, is there are alternates. Like I have a friend who is a severe asthmatic. Um, and so she can't wear like a, like a tight mask on her face, but she has a face shield that goes like from her head all the way down to her chest, basically. So were she to cough or sneeze or have anything, it would still, you know, create a barrier, but without like hugging her mouth so tight that it causes a problem. Mm -hmm. And, and, you know, so it's like, it just is hard. It's hard because it's like, you see these people they are like, well, I just don't want to wear one. And I'm like, you can't tell me what you. to do. There's a reason why Europe's not letting us come over and play anymore. Yeah. <laughs> Every other country was like, yeah, you wear my, you know, like, and in, in some countries it's standard practice that if you're ill or it's during flu season, that masks are worn. Some people wear them because of pollution issues in their city. So it's like, and no one is saying that you can't be out in a park, 30 feet away from someone without a mask on, they're literally just like, Hey, when you go inside or you're close to people wear a mask, we know they work. I mean, we see that in the lack of giant spike numbers due to protesting because actually, you know, everyone was, you know, people that didn't like the, that didn't like the protest because they're assholes were like, eh, well, it's going to spike the virus, blah, blah, blah. Well, actually the spikes that we've seen have not been linked to protesting. And it's because there was like 90% plus mask usage at those protests. Yeah. So like, you know, not that everyone did, but when it's like the majority of people out there were in masks. So it's just, it's infuriating because every time I see someone arguing about how it's a free country and they're gonna, you know, I'm an American and this is a free country. I can't believe you're, you know, taking away my freedom by telling me I can't go into this store without a mask on. It just makes me go like, we're going to be in masks forever. <laughs> this is never going to end if people don't start taking responsibility for themselves. That was my rant. <laughs> there it is, folks. Wear a goddamn mask. I think part of it, too, is, you know, one of the things that was really sad, I saw it, I think, on the God meme on Facebook, and it just, but it totally nailed it, just nailed it right on the head as it said, it was a terrible strategy for for the government to come out and say, 
hey, wear a mask because you're not just protecting you, you're protecting others. And you're really protecting others more than yourself because it showed just flat out how little so many Americans give two craps about anyone else. Mm -hmm. And so now they've literally changed the messaging. And I was just hearing it on the news today. Now they're changing the messaging about how much it helps you. If you wear a mask, it really helps you. If you wear a mask, it really helps your risk to cut down on blah, blah, blah. Because they've realized that people here are so selfish and so self-absorbed that if wearing a mask protects other people, they don't give a crap. But if you can convince them that wearing a mask is going to help them out and maybe keep them from getting sick, oh, now maybe they'll wear a mask. And I just, oh, it was just, it was one of those things that it's like you want to laugh, but you want to cry more. So before we head in to uh, discuss uh, glamour magic with our upcoming guest, uh, Courtney, you had an upcoming class that you wanted to share with us. Yes, So this coming Thursday, July 9th, uh, 6 p.m. Central Time, which is 4 p.m. Pacific and 7 p.m. Eastern, I am leading an online class on the goddess Hakate. So it's a lot about uh, who she is, what she represents, how people can work with her um, in their different witchcraft practices. So uh, it is being hosted through Pathways. Um, which is a store in St. Louis, Missouri, really great place. And they're doing a lot of online events right now. So you will be able to find links to that on our website. And if you go to my own Facebook page, just look up the Cocoa Witch, Courtney Weber, um, uh, that's where you can find it as well. So you do want to purchase tickets in advance so that you can get the Zoom information. And um, But we'll also continue to promote it through our channels. And I would really love to see some of our podcast audience out there. It's always a joy for me when I'm teaching somewhere and someone's Someone uh, turns out they're, they're listened to the three of us and know us all intimately. So please come support me. I need the support. <laughs> Do it. This. Go. Please. Someone besides me and Hillary, listen to Courtney. <laughs> you don't listen to That's Courtney. So don't even talk to She doesn't. But I can feel, I can don't feel, well, I don't really feel guilty. So that doesn't work. Oh, you don't. Okay, I can feel less guilty if I can encourage others, but I really don't feel any guilt at all. So that that doesn't really. If, doesn't if there's work. any proof to that, if anybody saw the video of you collecting ocean water, where I'm trying to help you do it, and you're like, bah! like. <laughs> I mean, folks, if you haven't gone, to, if you haven't seen that video, sign up for our Patreon because seriously, it's hilarious. Uh, <laughs> Speaking of that, um, David She, our guest from our last episode, um, reached out because there was an anecdote he wanted to share about uh, cleansing and protection magic that we didn't have time for. And um, so he said, hey, if you don't mind sending us a video um, with with your anecdote, we will uh, offer it to our Patreon supporters. So if anybody's interested in getting a little more information about protection magic, you can go to our Patreon page and that's where it will be. We are super excited to have joining us today, Chawan Koo who is a Korean-American witch. She runs the YouTube channel Witches and Wine, where she interviews experienced occultists and explores the intersection of pop culture, glamour magic, and self-development on TikTok, her other social media. And we will post a link so that you can find her online. Thank you so much for joining us. Oh, thank you guys for having me. Yeah, we're very excited to have you on. I'm the most excited because Chawan and I have already had many adventures on the internet yelling at people together. And that's how I knew that we were going to be best friends for life. Because we couldn't stand the same people on Facebook. I'm like, I want to hang out with her. Exactly. Well, I don't know if I'm allowed to curse on this podcast. Oh, you are. Oh, no, it's expected. It's not just allowed. It's expected. 
Good. Okay. Because my mouth. Okay. So (laughs) basically it's like, you know, that you're going to be really good friends with somebody. If you talk shit about the same people. Yes. Yes. (laughs) That is pretty much all that holds Kanani and I together anymore. Is the fact that we still hate the same people from like 20 years ago. We see them and we're like, Oh no, 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 they're still alive. This is a real problem. (laughs) Exactly. So yeah, I, I, Actually, I'm really glad that even though the experience of like these past couple weeks, you know, with a lot of the social movements that are starting to reignite in America, a lot of true colors have been showing amongst Facebook friends, people when in times of quote unquote peace, you know, they seem perfectly nice. And yet, as soon as like some sort of chaos or something that's a pushback happens, like their true colors emerge. And for me, this is sort of what I'm trying to figure out, like how to create magic that's a representation of you on the inside, on your outside, so that people kind of know who you are from the start so that we don't have things like, oh, I thought this person was great, but it turns out that it was just like the the faux glamour, like the, the sort of like outside of them, but actually inside their garbage or whatever, you know? So yeah, so in some ways, social justice and what's been going on has been a type of glamour magic as well. So I'm so happy to be here to talk to you guys about this. It's like we say that you should have my true colors and you think somebody is a cobalt blue or a magenta pink or the colors that really excite people. And it turns yeah. out they're actually puce. Yeah, or exactly. It's shocking. Yeah. Sometimes it's so shocking. You're like, excuse me, have you been like this forever? And I, how did I not know? You know, it really, I think times like this really um, bring out, again, people's true colors or bring out people's, um, the beliefs that maybe people were not being super public about. So in some ways it creates, I mean, I've gleefully unfriended, deleted, blocked so many people during this time um, because, yeah, I mean, I think it really does, you start to realize um you know, you start to realize that something lies there that you just didn't have any idea existed. Exactly. Exactly. Every once once in a while, I get super agitated when you see on the news or something like that. Like you'll see this, this group and you think, oh, you know, they look like, you know, probably people you would hang with or, you know, people you would see maybe on their way to a protest rally. And then you see they're on their way to like a, a, a Trump rally. And you're like, no, 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 you are not allowed. Like, I don't know what you're doing right now, but this is not one of these things is not like the other. This is not working for me. Exactly. And I think that's one of the downsides of what I call faux glamour, which is, I think, the modern manifestation of a lot of glamour, which is it's sort of like uh, putting the sort of sheep's clothes on top of a wolf, which is what I think most people think of when they think of glamour magic. It's trickery. Mm. It's not real. And for me, this sort of trickery, maybe it worked in the past, but in today's world and today's, I guess, like the veil is thinner, whatever you want to call it, you know, um, when the veil is thinner, when people have the internet, they can like completely and utterly vet you from like the MySpace page that you had back in like freaking like 2015 or, or oh. 2005. Yeah. I miss so- MySpace. I really do. <laughs> I, I had so much fun listening to so many of your, your YouTube videos and whatnot, because so many of the things So one of the things that I think people think is kind of fun about me on our podcast is I tend to pretty much say whatever I think, regardless of whether or not Mm -hmm. other people are going to get pissed at me. Mm -hmm. And I loved 
how often you were saying things that I either have said or things that I think that I, I that I know gets other people riled up. And I'm just like shaking in my seat like, yes, yes, I agree with you a thousand percent because this is the most Kanani thing ever. Like, I love this guest. She says everything that I already say. Yeah, I, I mean, I was just like, but it's cool because it's it's the kind of stuff that other people just won't say, even though it's true. It's just it's the world that we live in. It's the way that things are. And even if it makes people, you know, uncomfortable or whatever, it doesn't make it any less true. And one of the right. things that uh, I kind of wanted you to talk to our listeners about because of, like I said, I love so many of, of the things you talk about in your philosophies. What was it originally that brought you into witchcraft or at what point did you kind of say to yourself, I'm a witch? So I would say that it was a Tinder fuckboy. This is the first time we've heard that. Perfect. Yeah, I talk about this all the time. And I'm sure that when people hear it, like the super serious neckbeard edgelords are just like, oh, not a real occult person. Yeah, but they don't listen to our show. (laughs) Awesome. Awesome. And you know, the thing is, is that I think that the experience of being rejected, um, of having this like sexual experience. Okay. So let me back up a little bit. So what happened was I was living in Korea, um, about three years ago. So I moved to Korea right before Trump was elected. So I left when America was still Obama America and I had been an atheist all my life and I'm Korean American. So I go to Korea and as soon as I step on Korean soil, like the, the motherland, cause I grew up in America, just spiritual stuff started to happen to me, you know, like within a month of landing in Korea, I was a coworker of mine was just like, would you like to go and see a mudang with me? A mudang is a Korean shaman. And I was just like, Oh my God, this is awesome. So we go into like some, you know, isolated mountain, small town. And we, you know, like meet with a mudang. And then, you know, like uh, I was living in Seoul, which is like the capital of South Korea. And of course, you know, I was doing like the big city thing. Cause I'm like a city girl. And just this just shows you that you shouldn't discount any sort of experience that you have because I met this guy on tinder and he was so hot and like we literally had like sex for like 10 hours like I always tell people we only had sex for six hours and they're like six and it's I don't say 10 because I feel like they'll think that I'm showing off but it's like (laughs) we had it for like 10 hours and it was like the best sex of my life and afterwards I was so digmatized. I was like, I'm marrying this guy, right? Digmatized. I love that. Oh. I'm feeling it. Yeah. And we've all gone through it, okay? Unfortunately, like, I had to learn that lesson like seven, eight, nine, ten times, as many times as Kanani tried to warn me that I was being digmatized. I was like, no. Oh. He's I, innocent. I, I, <laughs> I, I still feel like I'm going through that lesson and probably will for at least a couple more years. It's called Kanani. She'll be like, no. You're stigmatized. Even if it's like actually true love, she's still going to say it's stigmatized because it's funny. I mean, but the thing is, that's another thing. The body is very important, you know, and I don't want to denigrate the entire digmatization because that is that is a type of glamour and that's a type of skill and that's a type of wonderful, yummy human experience. And I was just like, I'm, I'm going to marry this guy. Like, I just met him and like we hooked up that night. But of course, the relationship didn't work out. And I was so heartbroken because I projected so much of my future fantasies on this guy. And, you know, I'd spent my entire life as an atheist, but 
I was at the point where I was like, I am in so much pain because I'm so ready to fall in love and being in a relationship that I'll just do anything to try to not deal with my pain. Oh, what does Susan at the yoga studio? Like I would always like say, like say mocking things about like new age, like la la people. I'd just be like, Oh, what does Susan at the yoga studio do? And I saw that people who were into new age, they were doing a lot of chakra meditations, you know? And I was like, let me try that because I have nothing to lose. But the thing is, I was doing chakra meditations differently than the Susan at the yoga studio. I was really researching deep and I was trying to find, I'm Asian, but I was also like, I don't want to like culturally appropriate. I want to really know about chakra. I really want to know what's real. And so I was listening to a lot of meditation music that dealt directly with chakras. I was hours upon hours per day walking around Seoul, meditating on each chakra. So imagine for like six months, seven months, two, three hours a day, just somebody doing intense, not only shadow work, but also chakra work on top of that. And after that, it's like my mind expanded a little bit. And I was like, okay, let me try to learn more just about witchcraft because people were talking about oh, you know, like your energy centers, da 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 And I know this witch who works with energy. And I was like, witch? Because it had never really occurred to me to even look into witchcraft before. And I was like, okay, okay, let me look into witchcraft. Because, you know, I tried the chakra thing. It was great. So I took a class that was being led by Carolyn Elliott called Influence. And after that, I just hit the floor running after that. It's like I, I started my YouTube channel not long afterwards. And this was all done in Korea, my motherland. And yeah, I, I can actually say that it was a second fuckboy who inspired me to keep working hard on my YouTube channel because, you know, editing videos, like I was completely self-taught and it's really painful and tedious to do. But again, I was just like, do I want to do video editing, which is boring and tedious and hard and awful, or do I want to deal with heartbreak? Okay, video editing. And so all these little incidences, you know, like I could have totally written them off, but instead they helped me take one step further and further into delving into the occult. How would you define glamour magic? Mm, Okay. So for me, glamour magic, simply because human beings are mainly visual, I I like to look at it in terms of the visuals because I think 80% of a human being, like an able-bodied person's um, senses are dominated by sight. But glamour magic could be many other things. Basically, it's when you deal with the five senses. So when you're dealing with the body, the embodiment of a person. And what that means is you can take energy, you can take abstract things, but when you move it through the body, it becomes embodied. That's why when you evoke a spirit or invoke a spirit, you know, like oftentimes they'll move into your body and then you'll become a representation you will become the spirit but they're using your body almost as a vessel so to me that's what glamour magic is it's kind of like working with the embodiment of magic one of the things that you talked about that for me was like amazing is you know you you talk a lot when you do your glamour magic you talk about the visual and you also talk about you know how some people do tattoos some people do makeup There's all kinds of different ways that people can essentially try and express their inside on the outside. And you made a comment that I absolutely loved. And it was, who the fuck gets to say that the way you look when you wake up in the morning, that that's the real you. Totally. Totally. And I love that 
because I feel like that is that is something that people kind of try and hold other people's, you know, hold over people's head like, you know, oh, why did you do makeup? Oh, well, why do you have to do your hair? Why do you have to do your nails? And you made the comment, which was, you know, um, that you felt like never was Boy George more his true self than when he was in yeah. full glam. I think that's such a good point because I think we oftentimes, we forget that body autonomy is also what you choose to do with your body. So for some people, their true self is waking up in the morning, but we shouldn't tell people that love to put on a face of makeup. I love putting on makeup, right? So I feel really great when I do that. And so I think that, and especially with women in this society, we have this habit of either shaming them for wearing too much makeup, shaming them for not wearing enough makeup, telling them that they shouldn't be too fake, telling them that they shouldn't be too real, right? Fake in quotations, real in quotations there. But, you know, it's like, I think it is really empowering to say if someone, if someone feels their best self with glitter on their face, like, fuck yes. You know, like you, no one should feel like they have to be one or the other. It's like what we personally feel empowered by, by our aesthetic. And it's also, there's, there is a ritual involved, a magical ritual in, in, in stepping into the face you want to put forward for the wow. day. And I know for me, I don't have a very large wardrobe because um, most of the time I work from home. So to be honest, I, I, I look how I rolled out of bed for most of the day. <laughs> but when I do, um, when I do work out of my office back before the pandemic or um, going to events, there, the dressing for work became a ritual because then I'm stepping into that role, mm-hmm. right? And then that helps me throughout the day. Um, the term put your best face forward, I feel like is kind of cliche, but it's about like, I, I want to fully embody, the, as, as, as Joanne was saying, the spirit of being this role in the work that I do. Um, and sometimes it feels a little bit like a costume, but it's not like, you know, but it also when I used to do the mermaid parade in New York city, that was a total expression of the fullest me. That was a costume I would put on, like I would prepare for weeks to be the sea witch, right. And collect all the materials for it and putting on the face and putting on the wig and the giant hat. And so it was in a way, it was like the greatest exaggeration of myself to be this flamboyant over the top, kind of like a drag witch, right. Mm -hmm. But also a mermaid marching down Coney Island. (laughs) I mean, I, one of the things that I'm starting to really try to, to analyze right now is the denigration of feminine modes of expression. So, you know, like, um, I've talked to Alkissa Stemek, who's absolute goddess, um, and she talks a lot about the body in the occult, and she is a Bhutto dancer. And it's through you know her and also talking to Sabrina Scott. I've interviewed both of them, and Sabrina Scott talks a lot about eco-witchcraft, and not like ego as in like recycling plastics, but in terms of like using the entire context of the world. And recently I just heard of this term eco-feminism. So it's like trying to see how the way we treat animals and the environment on our food relates to how we treat female bodies um, and feminine presenting bodies. So for me, I find it very interesting that masculine modes of spirituality, sitting still as a rock and chanting, okay, that's a very monastic thing to do. 
um, that is considered to be high end magic. You know, when we think of ceremonial magic, it's like some dude, you know, like in some sort of like severe looking gown doing whatever it is. And sigils, you know, you take like a piece of paper and you're just abstractly, you know, you're taking the abstract energy of your mind and you're putting it into like this piece of paper. But what about the more feminine modes? Like the, a lot of like feminine energy is about, you know, like bleeding or giving birth or dancing, belly dancing, you know, like moving the hips. Um, the symbolisms that we use to basically show the world, like this person has power that doesn't have power. When you look in nature outside of human beings, it's so much symbolism, peacocks and birds, you know, like the lion's mane, like the, the masculine has so much of that going on. And so there's a lot of symbolism, but it's only relegated. It's only okay when it's talking about brute power in human society, rather than why is it that lipstick is not considered a type of sigil? I'm like, what's the big difference? There really isn't. When you empower a symbol, when you're wearing earrings and you empower them and you put them on, is that not like a sigil? Why does it have to only be like some lines you draw with a pen or a pencil? Why does it have to be so abstracted? Why is it not embodied? Why are things like putting on makeup considered to be you know, silly, immature, superficial. Why is glamour magic considered to be, oh, you're just trying to trick us, you know, take your date to the swimming pool, you know, the first time you go out with them. So you really see what they look like. It's like, really? You know, there's that sort of idea of this trickery, this chicanery, this, you know, like, oh, the, the feminine, the more femme way of expressing this, you know, that's considered to be inferior and ugh. And I'm just like, but is it really? And the reclamation of that, and this is one of the reasons why I'm such a huge fan of those who are more androgynous, who are embodying both types of energies, masculine and feminine, and do it in a way where it shows on their skin. That's extremely brave. And one of the things that I kind of recommend to me, which is want to learn more about glamour magic, is to read about the history of drag queens, about um, you know gay icons who were yes. very effeminate and what they had to deal with, and how they were able to make society move the point of what was considered quote-unquote normal. They had society move to them, but how did they do it? How did they use their glamour to change the way that society views femi like femininity in men? And I want to speak to, into that because um, some of the most powerful magic, probably not the most powerful magic that exists within humanity comes out of times of severe oppression and crisis. Right. Yeah. And the earliest drag queen that has been noticed was, uh, was someone named Edward Dorsey Swan. Mm -hmm. And she was um, enslaved. And after emancipation, she started having drag balls. Yes. And she, she basically everything we like the terminology we associate with drag queens, even the term queen all comes from Edward Dorsey Swan, which because they called her the queen, right? Biologically male, but dressed in women's clothing and everybody referred to her as the queen. And she, she's the one who coined sachet strike a pose and all of that. And this was happening just after the civil war in the South where they were essentially what we would now call drag balls happening out in the middle of the town square. And the, most of these people had been previously enslaved. And it was like, you know, fuck you. you. We have lived our entire lives under the most pain and oppression that any human being can. And we're going to, you know, fuck your societal norms. If we want to wear silk gowns and corsets and, and hoop skirts with parasols, we're going to do it. And you can find 
pictures of Edward Dorsey Swan online that somebody is writing a book about her. And I am waiting for this to come out because it, it, she's just so phenomenal. So we'll have links to that on, on the website as well. But it's like it, the magic that drag has given us, right? It all comes from this, this very source, right? So I don't know if I'm going down a rabbit hole with this after what Shawan said, but I was like, yeah, this is, this is what I'm feeling. <laughs> 100%. I mean, I think that a lot, this is, I think the reason why so many um, young alternative girls who don't feel like they fit mainstream modes of beauty or just are not comfortable with it. Um, they, they look into um, drag culture. I think Jeffrey Star. I know he's being canceled right now. He's in the process of being canceled, but he has a humongous fan base of like teen girls. Okay. Like cis hetero teen girls. And I think a lot of in K-pop, you know, a lot of people make fun of K-pop stars as being quite effeminate. You know, they, Oh my God, but look at what just, look at what K-pop just did. (laughs) Exactly. And also, isn't it interesting that so many of these guys, these incels, you know, who are just like, Oh, toxic masculinity. And yet who are the men who are getting these girls? You know, these are the, the guys who had the big hair, like, you know, like during what is it? Hair metal days, like yes bon jovi you know poison i was like really into hair metal when i was a kid you know i was just like oh my god these guys are so cool so it's sort of like there's already inside of us um this natural attraction to those who are able to show by their looks that they're not completely conforming to the norm and yet it's like every time somebody tries to not conform to the norm especially i think if they're masculine presenting or they're masculine energy there's so much societal pressure to the point where a lot of these men, they go through, you know, it's horrible. It's absolutely horrible. So the thing is, is that the this thing that people forget about glamour magic and about the body is that the body is a political statement simply by existing. There are some people out there simply by existing. And Boy George said this in an interview with some French, um, French TV show back in the eighties, he said, I don't need to make political statements because just being myself and just walking out the door, I am a political statement. And I was like, yeah, exactly. Exactly. He's literally walking the walk. It's not just talking the talk. And people might say, oh, what about performative, whatever it is. But the thing is, is that everything about life is a performance. You know, RuPaul says that you're born naked and everything else is drag. So everything you do has an element of performativeness to it. And so it's almost like owning it. And saying, okay, this is the way that the world is. Now, what can I do about it? If I want to affect change in my life, the life of my neighbors, the life of this country, whatever, how can I actually become a walking portable altar, a walking sigil, an embodiment of a statement? And that's what Glamour Magic helps you do. I want to jump back in real quick because I had the name of the queen wrong. It's actually William Dorsey Swan that was the first drag queen, not Edward Dorsey Swan. Sorry. I know exactly who you're talking about. Um, TikTok. Oh, do you? Yeah, TikTok yeah, I know. did I it. I, yeah, I was like, was that the name? And then I was like, I'm so bad with names. Who even knows? You know, there's a lot of talk right now about um, the appropriation, right? So TikTok, um, I'm really big into TikTok. Um, and the TikTok teens are so fucking woke. And there's just so, I don't know, maybe it's the Pluto and Sag that they have, you know, but it's, they're just fucking, they don't give a shit. They're just like saying whatever and they don't stutter, you know, they just say it and they're just like, yeah. And there's a lot of talk about how it was black and brown people, queer and non-binary people 
who created so much of just regular, you know, like white people, gay culture, which then was appropriated by cis hetero white women. You know, so much of what we do in terms of makeup, the slang that we use, eyebrows on fleek. Oh my God, BFF, you know? That's so, I mean, there's so much appropriation. So much. And we owe it all to brown and black queer people. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yep. I, I just, yeah, I, like I said, I've been, I have so enjoyed your, your videos and I know that our listeners will as well, because it's just, it's, it's so informative and it's just, it's, it's real and it's refreshing because like I said, a lot of times when you do get into kind of more earth-based natural type, uh, religions, somehow people think that that means that, you know, it, it, it has to be, you know, you, you, I don't know how to explain it. Like makeup is bad. Perfume is bad. You should smell like whatever you smell like. And it's just kind of like, or no. Can we unpack that more? Because, okay. Um, One of my favorite interviews that I've done is with Sabrina Scott and she wrote Witch Body. And one of the things that we discussed that completely shifted my paradigm was this concept. And again, this has a lot to do with like ecofeminism is the way that we talk about nature is the same Madonna whore dichotomy that we use when we talk about women. So nature is just completely not real in the minds of so many pagan people. And I'm so sorry to say this and call you guys out, you know, if you feel this way, but it's like the nature you think about, you know, and this cottage core aesthetic or whatever it is, that nature doesn't exist anymore. So I lived in Bali for five months last year. And the thing is Bali, everybody's like, oh my God, Bali, the beaches, all that stuff. Well, guess what? The beaches were covered in plastic. There were cigarette butts floating in the ocean And it wasn't necessarily the trash that people in Bali or the tourists were generating. It was trash that was being brought to us by the ocean currents from India. So no matter what, even if you think that you are doing everything that you can to be pure, quote unquote pure, nature is contextual. It's we're all interrelated. So, you know, the trash from India was coming to Bali. And what could we do about it, right? The thing is, is that nature is not that pure okay nature isn't this pristine thing so much of nature that we especially as people who live in developed countries have been exposed to is curated you know the dead rotting putrid bodies of mauled animals it's cleaned up by park services the crystals that we buy at the stores that were ripped from the earth you know mined in awful ways from mother earth you know that you buy from etsy or whatever the spirit of that sort of horrible trauma is in that crystal. And yet here we are trying to pretend like, oh, you know, like natural's best, you know, with earth is left to itself. It's so nurturing. It's so comforting. And yes, there is a part of that. But um, Dr. Neil deGrasse Tyson, that eminent physicist was saying, you know what, the world, the universe is actively out to fucking kill us. We're hurtling through space at God knows how many kilometers an hour. You know, there's a fucking ball of fire that's good that you know it's like basically a nuclear like explosion happening like every like half a second that is like kind of like pulling all these other planets and us through space there's areas of earth that are so cold and so deep and so unexplored i mean there's like viruses and bacteria and we've experienced it with the pandemic there's forces of nature a huge amount of nature is out to destroy it doesn't have morality it's neutral it's there to survive so i think one of the things that 
especially spiritual um, feminine um, identifying people might want to consider is, are you idealizing nature? Are you idealizing the concept of natural role? You know, and are you trying to put the same sort of dichotomy of like pure impure that we often put on female sexuality or feminine expressed sexuality onto nature? And if you are, why are you doing that? Okay, I had to mute myself because I'm over here going, yes! I oh my God! <laughs> a feeling that I was so... like, and now you know how I, I felt mean, uh, watching all her YouTube videos. So dead on because, I mean, nature, again, can be very beautiful, but it is also brutal. Totally. Brutal. Yes. You know, For, and, it, and I think yeah. we, we really don't, I mean, I, I think that when I look at nature and Mother Earth or you know, I, there's a huge amount of reverence there because I'm like, you could take me out this second, but yes. literally you could take me the fuck out this second. So while it is magical and beautiful in so many ways, ignoring that inherent danger and that inherent brutality is, is doing a disservice to the power of nature, in my opinion. Exactly. It also, I think, denies us the chance to really um, appreciate the beauty that that come that can come with with sorrow. And in there, and this is not to to fetishize to fetishize um, uh, you know pain or suffering or think that, but it is there is a reality that you can find beauty in the sorrow. And it's something I actually was was writing about recently. Is that you know we you go into the New Age stores just like just like Chawon said in that you know, next to your, your painfully harvested crystals, you also get the picture of a serene pregnant lady looking so peaceful and so serene. And it's like the ancients knew that wasn't the case. Their fertility goddesses were mean and nasty and had, and were as adept in delivering, helping a mother deliver a child safely as they were in poisoning and killing people. Yep. Right. And, and we've forgotten that. And it's like, you look at, everyone's like, Oh, the goddess Demeter. I'm like, she invented winter. She wanted everyone to die. Okay. Exactly. And just cause she was mad. Like, <laughs> exactly. exactly. I mean, it's so, it's so true. And I think that like, we have this, um, this, I don't know if it's like a coping mechanism or it's like what we do to soothe ourselves is by ignoring what we, what we think is harsh or ugly or whatever we want to call it, brutal, dangerous. It's like, we want to just look at the pretty shiny. We don't want to think. And that is so dangerous in and of itself because it's like, you know, everything is so there's such a, you're, you're right. You said earlier, there's such a dichotomy to things. And it really, that is so true when it comes to nature. And that's so true when it comes to, I mean, just people, humans, life in general, you know, it's not all pretty child pregnancy isn't all pretty for sure. You know, life isn't pretty all the time, you know? So it's like, we, you know, by, by pretending that these, the experiences we have that are challenging are bad or that things that are hard to hear, see, watch are bad. It, it just, it like, we blind ourselves to so much of the world. Exactly. And I also want to touch upon this idea of artificiality. You know, um, a lot of people in the pagan community, they define it as being the opposite of natural and therefore it's not good. 
you know, because, oh, you know, like you're being artificial, you're trying to, you know, change what's already perfect and flawless and natural and whatever it is, you know, you're, you know, that concept of if I'm not in a state of flow, you know, then I force myself to do something. No, thank you. I'm only going to do stuff, you know, like, <laughs> you know what I'm saying, which always drives me fucking crazy. But I think a lot of this concept, um, this negative concept around artificiality to me, that is also a type of privilege because when a person, mm-hmm. when a human being can think to themselves, oh, you know, like here I am, my gaze upon something, it doesn't change the way that nature is, you know, but human beings are nature, you know, like every single civilization has colonized nature, every single one, you know, we're not like animals. We build structures. We actually pride ourselves, every civilization, on creating these like monumental structures to to worship our gods, you know, and to kind of prove to nature that, you know, that we deserve power, that we are powerful as well. You know, that's sort of what kind of makes us, according to a lot of anthropologists, different. We're storytellers. We tell stories and make myths about ourselves. That's every human being. To deny so that. we're just naturally narcissistic, aren't we? In a lot of ways, I think that's part of what it means to be a human being, to kind of center mm. ourselves. I mean, there's a lot of cultures and a lot of spiritual traditions where you try not to do that. But when you're centering yourself in the story, naturally, you know, like that African proverb like that says that um, the story is told by the hunter, not by the, the lion or the gazelle that was hunted. So it's Mm. like we're creating myths about ourselves. And part of what artificiality is, is it's just life. It is us creating um, and sculpting nature to fit us. And anybody here who is listening to this podcast, you are living in the lap of luxury. You know, you're living in privilege. You're living in a developed world. You have Internet access. You have some sort of technology. You do not experience life the way that our ancestors did we're living the life that they wanted to live. And they, I don't think they would have any problems being like, hell yeah, I want to be living in, you know, I want to have a fucking cushy, like Tempur-Pedic bed. I want to have a jacuzzi. I want a smoothie. They want all of that. They want the convenience of going to a grocery store and picking like out of season fruits instead of like laboring for it and worrying, oh my God, are my fruits going to fail? Are my root vegetables going to fail? Am I going to starve? So the thing is, is that this artificiality is something that I believe that we can celebrate because this is us creating the story of what it means to be a human being. And if we're going to say that we're human beings, okay, and the thing is a lot of older cultures, a lot of older religions, you have to understand the context they come from. So a lot of these religions, they came from India, you know, Buddhism, Hinduism, Tantra, and a lot of these esoteric um, traditions, they came from a a time and era when there was a lot of death already. There was a lot of crowding, um, being in a human body was horrible, horrible. You know, it's hard enough being in a human body right now, but back then it was horrible. Of course, the idea of liberation involved getting out of your body because being in a human body was literally just like not, it was not a vibe, you know? But the thing is, is that we've come to the point in human history where we have so much privilege that it's optional for us to decide, oh yeah, I'm going to do some, some sort of like shadow work about my body. And I'm going to use like, you know, I'm going to use my vibrator and I'm going to do this ritual to Venus, like having orgasm, you know, and I'm going to take a shower under, you know, like this hot shower that, you know, indoor plumbing, just, we have this privilege and therefore the context is different. Now we have to ask ourselves, Mm -hmm. these esoteric traditions um, from the past, they come from a very different time. Are we not 
going to consider the context because I'm sure that a lot of the people who originated these religions or these thought schools of thought, they were not dogmatic. They were trying to provide liberation. So what is liberation now in a modern context? Is it the same as in like ancient India where like, you know, just the waters were being polluted because there were so many people and just there was disease and just horrible things, plagues. Or as people who live in a developed country um, with completely different sorts of rules of society now, are we going to start to reconstruct a lot of the spirituality to do what it was meant to do to begin with, which is to provide liberation in this specific body, in this specific time, in this specific context. It's no coincidence that all of these traditions, especially from the East, they always talk about be in the present moment. Okay, so if we're going to be in the present moment, can we admit that nature is not pristine? Can we admit that we are embodied? Can we admit that we live in privilege? Can we admit that we are walking um, mythologists? I can't use my words. People who create myths. Can we, can we accept, can we totally agree that what we're doing is enforcing our will as people who live, especially in the uh, developed world, or as people used to call it the first world, can we admit that we are imposing our will onto the world, onto the natural, and that everything that we do is unnatural and artificial? Once we come to terms with that, then I believe magic in every aspect, it becomes even more powerful because again, you're working with what you are actually in. And for me, the most powerful magic, it needs to be very clear about its starting point because doing magic in ancient Egypt when you're a slave is very different than doing magic when you're going to get a Starbucks like Frappuccino and you're living in like a penthouse suite. So if you don't know where you're coming from, you don't know the influences around you. You don't know how to do magic correctly if you're living in a fantasy bubble. You can create a fantasy life, but to do it first, you need to get really real with yourself. Standing up and cheering. This is a standing <laughs> ovation coming from my house, and I feel it coming from my co-host too. Yes. Absolutely. I, I feel like I, I feel like one of the things that I think I just loved so much about, you know, the, the perspective that, that you talk about and the reality that you bring to people is, you know to me, it's almost, it's just, it's about pure mindfulness. It's about realizing what you're doing and why and thinking about it and not necessarily comparing it to anything else. Or I don't know. I just, to me, like, it just, it takes away the whole concern of, of what you're supposed to be doing. And it makes it much more personal and it make it brings it much more, uh, individually about, you know, being mindful of who you are, where you are, what you represent, you know, what you're doing and, and trusting that like, if this feels true to you, then it doesn't matter that this isn't what someone else does or that someone else says is, or is not acceptable. Like this is your truth and you're allowed to embrace that and you're allowed to live your truth. And that the, one of the most important things is to just know yourself. 100%. And I do want to make a distinction between, um, I know that for a lot of people in the pagan community, there's issues of appropriation and especially the new age community. Oh my God. Yeah. Oh um, my God. So the so thing bad. is, is that one of the things that I've realized is that magic in terms of like, let's say more traditional occult stuff, you know, grimoires, you know, people saying, Oh, you know, this tradition where you have to initiate into it. 
a lot of times what it is, is it's somebody else's recipe. Okay. So it's kind of like, I always compare it to um, fried chicken. So, you know, like if you really know the basic recipe for making fried chicken, and then after you do it a couple of times, then you kind of know, oh, you know, I prefer my fried chicken to be extra crispy, or I like it to be extra spicy or whatever it is. But the thing is, is that there are elements to magic that I've realized because we are embodied that we can't ignore, which is our DNA our bloodline. Um, how can we ignore it? You know, it's such a huge, it's such an essential part of us. And so it's also very important that if we are going to be looking into practices that are not in our bloodline and who knows, maybe somebody who looks completely white, you know, this person may have a Mongolian ancestor. It's very possible. You know, people take, um, what are those, those DNA tests and they find out all of this crazy shit. So I'm not discounting that. But what I am saying also is that it's blood and therefore the blood, it influences the culture and your experiences in life. So we have to be very careful about how we tread. Um, there's a lot of controversy right now, especially on TikTok. Uh, a lot of young witches asking great questions about, can I do this? I am not, um, I have no, I, as far as I know, I don't have any native blood in me. Somebody gifted me sage, white sage. Can I burn this sage? And the thing is, is that if you don't have that blood, if it's not in your body, then it's important to listen to the bodies of people who do have that in them. So it's important to listen to the native people. It's important to listen to people who come from that tradition, whatever it is, Hinduism, Buddhism, whatever. It's not saying that you can't, but realize that they are an embodiment, especially those who have been initiated into traditions. They are an embodiment of a certain type of spirit. And therefore, to respect those spirits, you need to respect them as an embodiment mm -hmm. of. This isn't about, oh, my God, you're trying to, like, keep me from doing stuff. And this is like reverse racism. This isn't that. If we as spiritual people are going to say, I respect spirit, we need to respect the embodiment of that spirit. And that will often come in people who have that bloodline coursing through them. Um, there's a lot of research right now in science and just like regular, like boring ass science that says that the DNA, it can hold trauma. The DNA holds yes. memories. There's, what is it called? Yeah. There's epigenetics, you know, certain things, certain environmental circumstances can make your genes open up and express certain things. And other times it will close it. So therefore our DNA, it's so important. Again, your body, that embodiment is so essential to you as a human being. Without this body, you are not a human. Point, you know, period, with a T at the end, period, T. So therefore, <laughs> you have to be very careful about what that means, about that embodiment, and say, okay, I'm a spiritual person. I believe that there is an invisible world. How do I make that invisible more visible to me, whether it's through the magical practices I do, the makeup that I put on, the symbols I wear, the books I read, whatever it is, everything that we deal with in this life, so much of it is with the senses, the five senses, our sight, our hearing, our taste, or everything like that. So we have to be respectful of whatever sort of embodiment that spirit comes through in. So respecting other people's cultures and saying, until I'm given initiation, until somebody from that culture sits me down and I learn from them and I really respect and study and stay humble and realize that because I don't have that DNA, perhaps that sort of expression that's in the DNA may not happen with me. Being able to acknowledge that is also a part of glamour magic because it is also saying the primacy of the body is the primacy of spirit. 
in this human form, we can't see or do certain things simply because we have this meat suit. So if we want to have this contact with the spirit world, then even through our dreams, what are we dreaming in? We're dreaming inside or connected to our bodies. So we have to keep that in mind. So in that sense, I get really, really disappointed, but I guess I'm not surprised when spiritual people, they get really like up in arms about this cultural appropriation thing. To me, it makes perfect sense when you see it in terms of respecting the embodiment of spirit. No, I agree 100%. I think that, you know, um, like you said, there's there's certain things that you have to if you in order to in order to embrace them appropriately, you have to know the history and you need to if it's not a part of your natural, you know, culture or DNA or or ancestry, then if you want to participate in something like that, then you have to then go about it in the right way. You can't just assimilate someone else's culture. Yes. Respect the embodiment of the spirit. And exactly. Um, I, I cannot thank you enough for joining us today. I, I, your videos are incredible. Um, I thank you so much for everything you've talked about today. I think our listeners are just gonna really enjoy it. And it, you know, it just brings so much to think about. Um, can you tell us like, how are different ways that people can find you and keep in touch with you? In terms of social media, I guess the easiest thing to do might be just to go on YouTube and then look up Witches Wine, and usually I'm the first person who like shows up, and I have my social media listed in the description boxes of my videos. But um, in terms of like Instagram and TikTok, uh, I go under the handle Hi Chawan, so H-I and then my name. And I'm really active on TikTok. I really encourage witches uh, to look into TikTok. I know everybody loves Instagram and stuff, but TikTok is like, I'm, it has my heart. There's so much amazing stuff happening there. It's not, just, it's not just Gen Z anymore. It's a lot of millennials, a lot of even like people older than that going on TikTok. And there's a huge witch community and they're unofficially called Witch Talk. So it's really great. Um, I would say though that People who have further questions, I just recommend watching the videos on my YouTube channel. I created them specifically with the mindset of being a newbie witch, asking all the questions that people may say are stupid, but I'm just like, I don't give a fuck. So I would just start from there. And, you know, if there's any more questions, the best way to contact me would be through DMs on my Instagram. Thank you so much. Uh, like I said, I, I've loved having you on. I, I love the way that you break things down and you're real with people and you just talk about things the way that they are and, uh, you know, kind of remind people that, you know, you are where you are and this is what it is. And, and if you really want to get down to magic and, and being your true self and, and being able to express your true self, you have to know yourself. And that is, you know, a part of knowing yourself is, is knowing, you know, where you live in the world and how you live in the world and, and just complete self-awareness. And I think that's such an important, such an important part of magic in a, in a part of the journey is to not create this idolized version, but a real version. And so I just, I thank you for joining us. Um, like I said, I'm, I'm continuing to follow you now. I, I love, you know, listening to your, your YouTube videos and I will definitely find you on TikTok. 
And I just thank you so much for coming. I've always got your back at any future Facebook wars. I'm there. Thank you. Oh my God. Thank you. <laughs> yes. Let's, let's fuck some shit up. <laughs> <laughs> thank you so much guys. So thank you all so much for listening. If you want to support the show, uh, the best ways to do that is to subscribe, rate and review us on your favorite podcast platform. And we are now on Patreon. As an incentive, we are holding a live online ritual and Q&A session for everyone who becomes a patron between now and the end of July. If you don't want to commit to a monthly subscription, we also happily accept individual donations through Ko-fi, or you can purchase handmade That Witch Life merchandise at our Etsy store. We are on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, so be sure to follow and keep in touch. For show notes, audio transcript, or to ask a question to for us to answer on a future episode, please go to thatwitchlife.com. And until then, keep moting that shit, and we'll talk to you next week. Bye, everybody! Bye! Find us at thatwitchlife.com for archived episodes or to ask your burning questions for us to answer in a future podcast.